my wife was going out of town uh, for a long weekend with her with their folks. And looking back, I think I knew I was going to do it, but I, I didn't at the time. That Friday, she went out of town and I, I, I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to go back to drinking, but I wanted one. I'd done all this work. I just need a time. I just I need a reward for the three months I've done. <laughs> I, I got all this built up, so I got to just get it out of my system, and then I'll be really ready Monday to start again. And I'm just going to clear, you know, one last hurrah, and then you know, all that garbage will be gone. All the it's just one it, I, the mental game, but I was one last hurrah, and that last weekend just went into the toilet so fast. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 175. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. And we created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. As I told you, the first 30 days were hell. And I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? It was more difficult than the first time I did the 30 days. And uh, I was like, I didn't want to do anything. I was in bed. I couldn't read. I couldn't do anything. I had terrible headaches. It was tough. But now, uh, well, it's 80 days today, I don't think about it. I actually yeah. don't think about it. And uh, of course, the few first weeks, you, you need to put coping mechanisms in place. Like uh, I, I had to laugh when I heard Claire Pooley say that she changed her schedule for cooking. I did too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I used to drink while I was cooking. So if you want to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. My guest this week is Jeff Graeb from the Back to Zero Sobriety Group. Like many of us in the recovery space, Jeff's initial sobriety goal was simply to quit drinking. But as he recovered his health, his energy and his creativity, he decided he wanted to help others to do the same. He describes sobriety as freedom. Freedom from a world that was once filled with dread, regret and fear. 
So although his goal started out simply as one of abstinence, his life has since grown into a life filled with dreams, hope and happiness. So I began by asking Jeff to introduce himself. I live in the States, obviously, and uh, I grew up on the West Coast in California, uh, but came out to for college to Cincinnati, Ohio, which is in the Midwest, um, pretty much a central part of the United States. That's where I met my wife and uh, um, raised our kids here. We have four, girl, girl, boy, boy, just had two weddings back to back, a month apart. So um, if, if, if you'd like to donate any cash, we'll take it. Uh, but yeah, that was big. But um, they're 30 to 25, all, all four kids. So um, fully grown and we're empty nesters. But uh, been out here since I was early 20s, I guess, mid 20s is when I ended okay. up. In okay, thanks. Interesting. So yeah, all those weddings. <laughs> and I somehow, I managed to stay sober through them all, which was... Uh, that was refreshing. It would have been very different if you were a drinker, I'm sure, getting through those weddings. Yep. At least you can remember everything now. Nice memories. Yep, for <laughs> sure. But more importantly, the kids have nice memories. Yes, exactly. You know. Lovely. Well done. Well, let's let's talk about the drinking then. Let's let's go back in time. So how old were you when you had your, your first drink? Very first drink, I remember it well, is at a high school party. I think I was a sophomore, so roughly 16. And I remember walking through this party, and I finished. It was a Budweiser beer, and I finished my first. And it wasn't what I loved. And this is where I kind of, when you, through the sobriety journey, we do so much self-analysis. It wasn't the buzz I loved. It was the fact that I felt in, apart. I finished a beer and I was so proud. It was like a trophy. I was walking around with this empty Budweiser. I'm surprised I don't still have it because I was so proud that I had, I, I was in the club. Yeah. You know, I, I really felt like I finally made, you know, there's now you can add cool, you know, to, to my name because I was a beer drinker, like all the cool kids. Yeah. I was so proud of myself, it, but it wasn't the buzz. It Interesting. was the status. And how did it evolve, you know, once you, you got used to being one of the cool kids? I wasn't one of those. I, I, I progressed fairly quickly, but through the high school years, I was never a, a bad drinker. I remember in college, still out in California, I remember the very first night, and yeah, good memory of stuff, where I bought a 12-pack of beer the first time I drank alone, and I chose to drink alone. And that's, that's, what, that's the story of my life. As much as I love being out with people, that was great. The social part was fine, but I better have Jeff time to drink when it's all over. That's quite interesting because I think that happens a lot as we get older. We we enjoy drinking alone, but you were still really young then. How old were early, you then? Early, well, that was no. You know what? I hadn't even because I remember I was underage buying, and this one uh, kindly person that worked the minimart didn't check my id she thought i was older but so i was i bet 19 or 20 when that happened yeah and that was the first night but i i um i've never i've never had a problem drinking alone and i enjoyed drinking alone from this i still enjoy drinking with others but i also it was like i needed i needed that alone time and yeah. it, it it just took off from there i i think 
you know, I'm 57 right now. And I, when I was, I don't know, from 23 years old on, I was regularly drinking at least a case of beer a day. Then when I got into, after we got married, that even, that progressed even more. Yeah. And did that feel kind of normal to you? Were your friends like that as well? Or were you a bit anxious about it? Everyone around me is drinkers. Yeah. Um, very few around me drink like I do. But I was able to, when we were still, you know, before the family became really established, I could, and I chose my friends. I chose the ones that yeah. drank like I did. Didn't realize looking, but, but, but that was the reason I didn't, there were other people I really liked, but I didn't want to go out with them because, you know, they're going to be, I'm on my fourth and they're still, and they're going to be looking at me because yeah, yeah. look at how much Jeff is drinking. So I chose them. And then because my wife and obviously the kids and her family don't drink like I did, that's when hiding and sneaking and from the very start, you know, I always had the refrigerator in the garage. You know, one thing about living in Ohio I loved is we have cold winters. You don't have to refrigerate beer in the wintertime. <laughs> you know, you can leave it in your trunk and it's cold. Did you have uh, some arguments with your wife about your drinking? Is that why you took to hiding it? There were comments. There weren't arguments, but there were looks. And I knew it. I knew it was wrong. What I, the amount that I was doing in sobriety, I've opened up to her about the amount that I drank, and she didn't realize. She knew I was drinking, but she had no idea the quantities. Now she always saw me. She always saw me drinking. But what she didn't see was when I went out to the garage to get another beer and slammed four and came out with one, uh, or when she would go to bed and I would really turn it on. So yeah. I hit it extremely well, but because I did drink in front of her, I didn't have to worry about hiding the breath because it was I had a beer, so obviously that's why I reeked a beer. Um, and I was very good at, at, at hiding you know, the, the effects of it. So, so you never lurched around looking drunk or anything? It sounds like I'm bragging, but I was very good at it. But I, I did not, I even to the point when I quit, no one but me knew how bad I was. Yeah, interesting. But my wife had, had seen, and this is, we're jumping way ahead, she saw the lying, she caught me sneaking stuff in, you know, and, and that was where with, with our relationship, the problem was really much more about the hiding and the lying yeah, yeah. than the drinking. You know, I did everything with very active with my kids. I coached everything, every sport they did. I, I, I was at every event, but I was drinking in all of them. And yeah. when people saw me with one and they thought, oh, he's having a beer at the, at the game, they didn't realize I was on my 13th. <laughs> yeah. You know, and when I would, oh, you know what? I left my camera in the car. I'm going to go get this to get some pictures. Uh, you got to plant all these excuses. You know, I got to go get the camera. Well, it just so happens the cooler's out there between innings, and I'm going to go slug a few and come back. Um, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, don't ask for a sip of my non-alcoholic drink because it is, it's beer in this chocolate milk container. You know, but I, I it was... <laughs> You know, people have asked me, is sobriety hard? Does it take work? My drinking took a ton of work. 
Yeah, it must have been quite something, Jeff, you know, holding down, well, your marriage, being a father of four, I'm sure you were working, you know, and, and doing all this drinking. It takes tremendous strength, actually. And I think that's yeah, why some of us, you know, when we do get sober, we use all that strength for more positive things. So uh, we all seem to be all or nothing people I've discovered. I, I think I thought about, you know, my drinking as well, when it started is when it started. No, it started when I woke up. I wasn't actually physically drinking, but I was planning. I was looking at my schedule, the time. Yeah. Do I have cash? Am I going to have to sneak money out of Elizabeth's wallet? You know, how am I going to do this? Uh, how am I going to get it home? What are we doing tonight? Am I going to have enough when we get home later? Because I won't be able to sneak out and go down to the store to get more. You know, it, it was it was a full time job yeah. to be able to pull <laughs> it off. And did you ever try to cut down? You mentioned 13 beers a day. Did you try to get that down to six beers a day or did you not even I, try? I, I didn't. If I did, it was fleeting stuff. I think what I put my effort more into was hiding it more. Right. Yeah. It was instead of cutting down, that was the last resort. So I just, I put my effort to improving, hiding it, sneaking it. You know, one thing I didn't do, I knew as a, as an early age that both my parents were alcoholic. I knew that I had a, you know, the propensity for it. So I never learned to like hard alcohol. I always stuck with beer right? because I figured, you know, I can sneak around the corner and, and hit a pint of whatever and get very smacked. But the, the same amount of alcohol in beer took a lot of work. Yeah. And yeah. I enjoyed I did not enjoy, I didn't want to get fall down drunk. I, I ended up getting close to that, but I just enjoyed drinking. Did you get hangovers or did you manage yep. to just keep it on a level? Yeah, interesting. Very little. And it, it surprises me I, because I, I was, for the last 30 years of my life, literally 364, I'll give myself one day a year for being sick, 364 days a year I drank at least a case of beer. Literally, and, and, and many days, you know, weekends or when it well over that. Your tolerance must have got really high, you know, so that you had this uh, alcohol level in your blood probably all the time. So it's mm -hmm. not like, you know, people go out for a binge and then they fall over and feel dreadful the next day. I remember my holidays, I used to try and do that. You know, I'd get there and because it was holiday, you could start drinking at lunchtime. And, and I would just try and stay on that level of feeling really buzzed, you know, all the time. I wanted to catch that buzz, that ideal buzz that we all love and just hold it. But yeah. for me, the satisfaction drops so fast. Yeah, always. My wife can get the, that, ah, I'm there. I have a great little buzz. Now I can just enjoy the rest of the evening. Mine dropped off immediately, yeah. and the yeah. only way to keep it up there was to add yeah. continuously adding to it. Yeah. Of course, then that took the, the the buzz, you know, to a higher and higher level. And I think better. I think someone has better odds of winning the lottery than avoiding the losses that I should have had with DUIs, you know, dry, uh, drunk driving offenses. Um, losing jobs, losing family. I got away. It's just, it's a pure luck. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Yeah, yeah. That 
that, no, that, I, that buzz thing it's interesting they've done some research recently and obviously the buzz is all about the um you know the level the the alcohol level in your blood and apparently it only lasts for 20 minutes so those of us that drinkers you know i was exactly the same you get this kind of lull afterwards so then of course you want to go and get another drink and get yourself back to that place but the trouble is you know you carry on and carry on and then eventually well with me anyway at the end of an evening sometimes not every time it would bring me so low you know i'd burst into tears for absolutely no reason at all because at some point you come down lower than when you how you were when you started drinking so there's a whole kind of science between it but the way you mentioned your wife would just you know have her buzz and and stay there you know my husband's exactly the same they're, they're the normies <laughs> you know to have you said about moderating moderating was actually it's easier for it would it and it wasn't easy, but it would have been easier to not drink than to only have, if you said you can only have six beers tonight, I, I'm going to be physically in pain and, I mean, all over. I, I'm going to be unhappy. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. have a huge craving. I'm going to be crashing from, I had to, I couldn't just drink six. I was, no. I was not, it was not, it would be better to just white knuckle it and not drink at all. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I, I didn't understand that. And I tried and failed to cut down for 10 years. But now, you know, I've learned that, in fact, it is much easier not to drink at all, not to touch the stuff, because, you know, it's an addictive drug. And, and once it's got its claws into you, you can't moderate any more than a heroin addict could moderate heroin. You know, it's it's impossible for us. One thing so, for me, that short period of buzz, the whole rest of the evening, I would be just I'd be negative. I wouldn't go back to where I was before I had the beer. I would drop way below the line. It's not that I'm just, oh, I had one, I caught a buzz, and now I'm just back to normal Jeff. I, I would I would go way below the line. Yeah, that, that was just sheer torture. I, you know, I remember being at games, you know, sporting events that would stop, you know, like college football out here. They, the place that did sell beer will stop after the third quarter or sometimes after halftime. I couldn't even enjoy those games because I was just crashing. And it, it was almost like, let's leave. I got to get out to the car and get some more because I can't even. And it's not like I hadn't had 15 up to that point. I should have been good for a week. <laughs> I was good for about 15 minutes. And then I was looking and then it got yeah. worse. So you must have been worried at this time because it's so obvious your dependence was getting worse and worse. What What were you thinking that if I could, if I could, uh, that tomorrow would be different. I, I was always planning tomorrow's going to be different. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to do this and that that'll occupy my time. My my job might get better. That'll you know make things better. Today, you know, it'll be tomorrow that I'll that I'll fix it. So yeah, I was worried, but I kept hope that tomorrow would be different. So why I'm not going to worry about it too much, right? Because I'll start tomorrow. Yeah. So you, you would start a day thinking, right, I'm not going to drink today. And, and what kind of time did you have that first beer? When we were early married, obviously working full days, at, you know, till the end of the day, till five o'clock. The last couple of years, it got earlier and earlier and painfully earlier where that was. Uh, and I, I, I was fortunate. Well, not for I don't know what the word is, but 
the odds I, I was I had a job where I could get away with murder being an outside sales. So yeah. I can I could lie, I could hide, I could do whatever. So sneaking it was not I didn't have to wait till five o'clock and and, and and as the chain of just, you know, destruction the pain was to the point where it needed an earlier start, an earlier start, then it was earlier starts and a nap, then I could come home and function and start again. Yeah. And I, you know, they talk about progression with with alcohol abuse, and I look at it as a toilet. And maybe that's a good analogy, but when you first flush, it's it's like this. Well, as it gets more and more, they start picking up speed, and at the bottom, it's just a uh, right before it goes down, it's zipping into a tornado of <laughs> doom, um, and that's where I was. I was in the the real. Yeah. I was about to be gone but thank goodness you stopped and how did you stop and why did you stop when did you think this is it i can't do this anymore the lying and it was becoming more and more evident with my wife and i actually the night that i the night that it ended gum was my gum did me in because i came home and elizabeth said how much have you had and i said i'm i didn't i haven't even had one and she said, you're chewing gum. You never chew gum. <laughs> You've never chewed gum since I've known you unless I make you. And yeah. at that moment, I ran out of, I, I, I tried and I ran out of lies. I had, I, I, I've never felt that before, but I was, I always had an excuse, yeah. something. And I just yeah. sat there and I looked at her and I had nothing. I had, I was defeated. I had no more lies. I had no more excuses. I, I just, yeah. it was up. The veil was lifted and there I was. And I, I had nothing left and I couldn't yeah. fight anymore. And that night I realized it's over one way or another. And I, I that night I looked in and I found a, uh, a rehab facility here in town. It wasn't like the, the rehab on the commercials. I thought there was going to be hot coals being put on my back while a sushi chef was sitting next to me. And, you know, <laughs> I was in the, the white bathrobe and going zip lining that next day. It was it was a step above what I think jail would be like, which I'm fortunate enough to have avoided. But in that morning, it was interesting because Elizabeth said, do you need me? I told her I'm going in and she said, do you need me to give you a ride? And I said, no. And even though it was only about a 20 minute drive, I, it was important for me to drive myself because it was the first act. It was the first act of self-responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Like, Good no, point. Yeah. I have to drive. I've got to do this. Yeah. Because yeah, nice. so many people are carted off to rehab, aren't they, by their partners and, and they don't want to be there. And those are the people that fail. But you oh, yeah. put yourself there. So was your wife delighted about this development or uh, delighted but, but 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 very skeptical yeah uh you know and when i when i got out i was in for seven days and when i got out you know of course you say the apologies to the kids to, and and to everyone and and they all don't say you're sorry it doesn't we've heard it before those words mean nothing yeah you know there's there's nothing but is is your actions are the only only apology you can make Cool. And it was, um, I had to earn it. I had to earn yeah. it back. Yeah. My one daughter has the grandbabies. And when the number two was born, I didn't hold him for six weeks. 
part of that was me, but part of that was uh, she didn't, she had lost the trust in dad. Yeah. Yeah. So and, tell us a bit about rehab, uh, Jeff, this one step above jail rehab. What happened in there? Was it lots of talking and. Yeah, they, it was very structured. I, you know, they, they, they take your shoelaces because people have, you know, done yeah. self damage. They take anything sharp. The the pens they gave us, they they would pull the ink part out of the pen. So you would just have the little flexible tube that is so and you would have to hold the little end part or it was awful, but it was all the same it, it was you know, you walk in line, yeah. escorted everywhere, doors are locked to the cafeteria. What I needed rehab for me primarily, I needed momentum. Yeah. I needed a clean start. The fact that I paid, you know, paid for this, the fact that I had <clears throat> announced this, the fact that I took off work and told my, you know, my boss, I'll see in a week I'm going into this. Yeah. That was necessary for me because I can't hold myself accountable. Exactly. If I was the only one that knew I was doing this. Yeah. Failure would, would be very stay. easy. Yeah. I don't know how much I learned in rehab. I think it was more self-reflecting. And when I came out, I didn't want to lose it. No, no. I mean, seven days is is pretty short, (laughs) isn't it? Did did you have any physical withdrawals in there? I don't know because they gave us – I was scared to death of that because I can can read myself into a heart attack and – the DT stuff, I don't know. They gave us, you know, yeah. I don't know if it was Valium or what, but you know, they they monitored and uh, so I, I know that there was a lot of people there that were on other stuff coming down that were yeah. doing fine. Yeah, and there's no way they would have been doing fine. So I know that stuff did work. Yeah, well, another good reason for taking yourself off to rehab. Yeah, I love the way that you used it just to kind of draw a line, didn't you? You were open, accountable. I'm doing this for a week because I'm making a change. And you got everybody, you know, on your side then. And then, as you say, it was all about changing your behavior when you got out. So how did that go? I, I went to an AA meeting because a friend, another friend in that recovery was gone. I, I did not... You know, AA was a cult, whatever. Well, I really liked it, and, and it, it was what I needed. You know, I, I don't I don't profess any form of recovery other than the one that works for you. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's, it's some people like AA, some people don't, some people, you know, there's all sorts of, of great programs. I think people should look and search and find support, but uh, I needed that structure. I needed someone, I needed accountability. I needed a plan. Uh, I needed steps. And I don't mean the 12 steps. I just needed, this is what I'm going to do. I needed a calendar and I needed, I needed mostly people. And did you go every day? Yeah. And it was November 5th, which is just a week from our time. What we're talking right now was when I was my first day of recovery. And I actually did have a weekend relapse three months in. So it, it should have been two years in a week, but it'll be two years and three months in a week. The accountability thing, talking with others, and when when I, the the biggest thing in my sobriety was finding someone, and maybe it's someone like you that said, "Oh yeah, me too." Yeah. And I said, what, yeah. "What do you mean, you too? You yeah. did this? You? you? <laughs> oh yeah, I, blah, blah, blah. you're you're kidding me. I thought, and it all comes down to the words. I thought I was the only one." 
honest. I can yeah. be honest with you and I can be honest with my wife now to a large degree, but there's still, you know, someone like you, I have no problem being honest. And that's the only way I'm going to get better is by yeah. telling you that I'm also telling myself, at least that's how it works for me. Yeah. And I think especially for someone as secretive as yourself, you know, the fact that then you can share and it, it is a, a great relief. I was hearing things that I didn't even know when I was telling other people. I was almost like it was it was hearing it for the first time myself. I was yeah. I was the more I talked, the more I learned about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think when we get sober, we, we start to discover a lot about ourselves, don't we? Because when you're just numbing yourself with booze, you just lose lose a sense of who you are and what you like doing, except drinking. You you got on fine for, was it a couple of months, and then you had three, a, a little Three months, relapse? and then my wife was going out of town uh, for a long weekend with her, with her folks. And looking back, I think I knew I was going to do it. But I, I didn't at the time. That Friday, she went out of town, and I, I, I didn't want to go back. To, I didn't want to go back to drinking, but I wanted one. I'd done all this work. I just need a time. I just, I need a reward for the three months I've done. <laughs> I, I got all this built up, so I gotta just get it out of my system, and then I'll be really ready Monday to start again. And I'm just gonna clear, you know, one last hurrah. And then you know, all that garbage will be gone. All the, it's just one, it, I, the mental game. But I was one last hurrah. And that last weekend just went into the toilet so fast. Your mindset hadn't really changed because you still saw alcohol as a reward, didn't you? Yep. And I think oh, yeah. we, our sobriety is only secure when we don't miss it, we don't want it, and we certainly don't see it as a reward. So you were, I mean, very early in your sobriety, so uh, probably not ready to be unsupervised for a whole weekend. Yeah, and I, of course, I guess we all think we are, but I didn't plan for the weekend. I didn't do, but, I, you know, I needed that debacle, that weekend from hell. Yeah. I, I, I pissed family off. It, it was a bad, bad weekend, and they don't understand it. But it was the best weekend, the greatest weekend, or the most important weekend that I've ever had, or one of, because I needed, I needed the kick in the pants that said, "This isn't messing around." You this needed a reminder that just how bad it was, didn't you? This is serious. Yeah, yeah. And and if you just assume that alone, you're going to do this on hope and i'm gonna try and uh, you it, it was just to know the awakening i needed yeah so it was it was it was a the kids you know no one they don't see it that way but it was the most important thing that could have happened to my recovery yeah so your family knew that you uh, had this relapse did they when they came back they find you well, lying on the floor of your garage or something they didn't see that but that was that was there but uh they did see that i didn't show up to a wedding that i was supposed to meet my son at um okay. they did see that my when they finally found me and my daughter and her new boyfriend who just got they just got married but had to come get dad and he had to drive my truck home while i rode home it, it was <clears throat> It was just not, it was not good. And then yeah. Elizabeth came home and, you know, of course, 
I thought you said you'd be okay, so now I can never leave you again. You know, there was all the, there was anger. Why would you do this? Why could you do this? What were you thinking? All those questions. Uh, Was it easy for you to get back on the wagon? Again, I didn't have an option. Um, I didn't have to do, after just the weekend thing, a rehab or any of that, but I think I went in with a little, much less of a carefree attitude into the meetings, I, you know, to, to my recovery, I think I listened, I listened to myself. I did when someone that had sobriety gave me advice, I really listened or what worked for them. And I tried to figure out, you know, is that something that would work for me? How can I apply that to my life? I started writing, which I've never done before. And I'm not, not saying that's a mandatory, but that really helped me get thoughts out, and put them down yeah. and yeah. To go back, it's interesting to read that yeah, yeah. this is how I view me. I can't really see what's in here. I have to get it out and then I can see it to fix it. And yeah. either getting it out is either talking to someone and getting it out, writing it, and then I can get it out. But I can't see it really well inside of me. I got to get the thoughts, the emotions, all that out of me to where I can then I can look at it and go, okay. Oh, there's a problem. Oh, I could work yeah. on that. When we drink, we're just numbing the emotions and we do need to express them when we get sober. And as you say, it's either through talking or writing. And I think journaling is great. You know, we say to people when they come to our workshops, you know, buy a sobriety journal and every day, you know, just write down a few things. It doesn't have to be a, a long essay. But and then as just as you said, you can look back and into the early days and think, oh, yes, it was so much more difficult than it is getting. But, but you know, the, it, it's such a good point you just bring up, Janet, because a lot of it for me was the honesty. And, you know, I, I could see in my journal had a pretty good day today. Uh, things. Da, 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 da. Well, it, it was all positives. Yeah. And and. The truth was that was great and those are important, but I also needed to put down the drive home sucked. I had a really rough day. I was so close. You know, I, I you got to get the negatives out and and people, how did you do this weekend? Oh, I did great. Didn't even think about it. Never crossed my mind. I was da 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 da. And that usually with newer in sobriety, it's like, well, are, are you really being honest with me and yourself? Because no, okay, the truth is, no, it kind of sucked. Everyone's drinking. I'm the only one that wasn't, and yeah. it looked damn good. Okay, now we can address this. Now we're we're being honest with ourselves. So the the self-honesty was, was critical, and I was so good at lying to you and my family. I was also great at lying to myself. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And you'd had many years of practice, hadn't you? I, if, if I could put my lying into sales skills, I'd be a rich, rich man. <laughs> So you talked about choosing your friends because they drank with you. So I guess uh, you you lost a lot of drinking buddies in those early days. Did you lose friends? I, I, I did because initially, you know, I couldn't be around them. I like to think I'm strong enough that I could have, but it, it just didn't serve a purpose. No, no. Uh, and I didn't realize, but a lot of those friendships were strictly, were alcohol. Yeah. Based. Yeah. Um, and that's all they were. And they didn't, there was really no meat to them 
when you when you take that away. And it's it's pretty boring being around people when they're drinking their heads off, isn't it, for hours when you don't drink. You realize I, what a lot of nonsense they talk that you used to talk. <laughs> I, I told I told my wife, I said, I will go, you know, certain like family events or parties, social settings. I said, I'll go tonight. It didn't bother me to be around people that were drinking. But when they start, when they got past yeah. drinking, then yeah. it was like, okay, this is not fun. You're Exactly. Obviously, I was I was very funny and witty when I was drinking, but you're not. You think you are, but you know, unlike me, who was. But exactly. it, it just and I reserved the right just to get out of there. It's like we'll go to the we'll go to this reception tonight. We'll do this whatever. When I say it's time to go, I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely right. That's that's the way to handle it. And people, I think your your friends and relatives, they get used to you doing that, and they understand why you're doing it, and they're they're quite supportive. So did you ever get bored in that first year of sobriety? Mm, Wow, that's I'm sure I did. I've never looked at that. Drinking was was my focus. That was my activity. So I had without it, I was like, now what do I do? So I guess, yes, you're right. So I had to come up with things to do. I had to search and find something because if I came home at night and just sat there and said, okay, I'm not drinking Okay, this doesn't, you know, what what now? I had to I had to get other activities to occupy my time. Distraction is a key for me. So when I'm doing yeah. something else, then my mind's not Exactly. I come home and say don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. Well, all I'm thinking about is drinking. Exactly. But if I get home and I get some other activity, my mind is off it and I realize, "Oh, I didn't even for the last 15 minutes I didn't even think about drinking. I was yeah. doing this or that." Yeah, I think we have to reconfigure our life really and change our routines and find new things to do because if we just, you know, give up drinking and sit there, as you say, then um, it's it's too difficult and it's a waste of time. You know, in a way, we've got right. an opportunity here to to make a change and discover who we really are and what we really like doing. So but I had to, I had to make those changes and those plans in the morning or when I wasn't you know, craving drinking, because when I came home and it was at five o'clock, what am I going to do tonight? Do I want to drink or do I want to do yard work? Well, at that point, it's too late. I had to make a plan. And for me, I even just wrote out a little bit of a schedule at six o'clock. I'm going to go meet so-and-so for, you know, to do whatever. And at seven, I'm going to go for, you know, I I had to give myself events uh, ahead of time. That's a great idea, I think, because I always say to people, if you're going to an event and you think, I'm not sure whether I'm going to drink at this event or not. I mean, you're bound to, aren't you? You have to see it as a challenge. I'm not going to drink and be very clear. And I, I love your idea of making a schedule because we can't we can't trust ourselves in those early days, can we? Because we're still... Yeah, we, we, when I there. was, after my little relapse weekend debacle i had a week um i had to go for work north of here about four hours and i knew the hotel that i'd be staying at and there's a flashing you know budweiser sign it it, it worked on me on previous trips that advertising dollar paid off because it got me across the street but i knew i was going to be there and i thought if i wait and just try to muscle through that we're flipping a coin at this point Knowing I was going up, I, I knew a friend in the area that was in recovery, and I called him and I said, hey, I'll, I'm up there Monday night and Tuesday. 
what are we doing Monday night and what are we doing Tuesday night? When I finished with work, I knew I was meeting him at so-and-so yeah. time and we were going to do this and that. We were going to go have dinner or whatever. And then I got through my evening. That made it, yeah. but I had to make those decisions ahead of time because if I sat there and was staring at that Bud, Budweiser sign, do I want to call him and be sober or do I want to just walk across the street and check out? No, at that you're, point, you're it's absolutely it. right to to be have a very structured approach. But how long was it into your sobriety that you started to feel a little bit secure? You started to think, I can do this thing. Some days right away and then other days where you think you're rocking and rolling, where it's just, and, and, and for me, I still have the moments of not craving alcohol, but just wanting to feel different. Yeah. You know, yeah. Whether it's, a, you know, the, you hear checking out to feel just a change, a different, a, that, you know, the release of just that, ah, that alcohol yeah. gave me, you know, yeah. just to get after working all day and sit on the couch I can relax on the couch now, but to have a beer and really, that's a skill I'm still working on. Well, you look quite sporty. Do you do lots of sport? Because that's supposed to be good to promote the endorphins, etc. Yeah. You know what? The one that I started even doing more just as I'm getting older was um, yoga. I started that a, a couple of months ago and it's embarrassingly bad. I have the the balance of a uh, a one-legged giraffe who's heavily intoxicated, but it's improving the stretching and whatnot. I do get a it's a release of that tension, so that's Great. really helping. That and you know the thing is, Janet, that I find is that and I'm and and I'm lazy at this, but you know a a, a punching bag or something. Those at five o'clock when I was feeling, God, I need a drink, I need a drink or whatever. I really want to escape from this day or the stress. The kids are driving me crazy, whatever. To have something, you know, a bag for me, just to let out that energy and get it out, takes that away. It's it's great the way you're finding your tools. You know, we, we always say we need a toolkit and we have to explore different ways to make ourselves feel better. I've got to use the tools before I need the tools. Yes. You know, yeah. like your schedule. Yep. If I right. wait till I really need the tool, you know, people have said, why don't you, just, if, you if you feel like you're going to drink, just call me. Well, if I wait till I'm about to drink to call you, I'm not going to call you. I don't want to call you. I'm <laughs> sure someone can answer the phone if you call me because I don't want to hear you talk me out of it. Okay. I'm ready to go. So I got to do, I got to, I got to act on it before it acts on me. That's such good advice. Yeah. Talk to me about back to zero. Was that is this one of your your tools? One of the things that helps you stay on track, apart from helping a lot of other people as well. Yeah, you know the uh, back to zero, which is the back is BAC for blood alcohol content, and it's kind of uh, a friend came up with the name just starting over. But the social part is so critical. When I when I saw how well it worked for me, I kind of fell into this. You know, I do just like you're doing. I, I love talking to people that are in recovery. It fascinates me and it helps me so much. Every time I talk to someone, I get, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, and, yeah. and new ideas. I, I think, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm like that. And, well, how'd you do it? You know, even someone new, you get new insight. So I kind of just started the the website and the interviews, the, the shows or whatever you want to call them. For me, primarily, two reasons. One, I learn, I enjoy it. 
I, I'm exploring this thing about having a purpose. My drinking went from really fun to, I mean, it was a problem. I had the kids, I had other things, but when they left, then it, there was nothing. And when they were, when we empty nesters, suddenly I wasn't coaching and doing all these other things. And the drinking went from a problem, but fun to just a problem. I was lonely, even though I was married, I was bored. I didn't have, I didn't have something all day at work to be, Oh, when I get home, I'm going to do this. And what am I going to do? So that need, part of what I do now is I get home and or during the day, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to talk with Janet tonight or I'm going to talk to this person or I'm going to, you know, enter this and that. Those are activities satisfying, give me a purpose, a reason. You know, I'm always I'm always looking about what what could I, I, I want to give myself a reason to not drink today. Yeah. And if I know that I'm going to interview with Janet tonight at seven. Well, that's a reason to not drink because. Janet's counting on me, you know, or if I'm going to do whatever, you know, having a reason, a purpose, something, giving myself a reason to not drink. I need those tools. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at tribesober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, but but you're doing much more than that, Jeff. You're not just um, distracting yourself, you know, with talking to me and others, but you're you, you're developing a purpose to help other people. You know, we're, we're all helping each other in recovery. And I think that's, you know, what makes it so beautiful. We're all put on earth to, to find meaning, aren't we? Might find meaning and purpose in our life. You know, drinking our life away is not a purpose, you know. But, and when we get sober, we, we start to see things a lot more clearly. I think we get mental clarity. We get energy we get creative and then we can start exploring can't we the doing it together with someone like you or whoever it is you know today in, in the it's it's halloween here and in the states we have the haunted houses to go into a haunted house alone it's not really fun because it's scary and it's not fun you don't have anyone to, but to go in with a friend to hold on to and you're still scared to death, but you're streaming and laughing and getting through it and working as a team together. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's fun. I don't think going through a haunted house alone is fun, but no. going through it with someone else, it's easier. I'm less afraid, and I have a lot of laughs. And that's how yeah. I look at sobriety. I, doing it myself, it's not fun. They say that connection is the opposite of addiction, and mm-hmm. and I think that's what what it's all about, and that's what every single sobriety group on earth have in common. You know, we're we're all about community. But pride. And- I don't want to tell my friends that I'm drinking three bottles of wine during the day. I don't want to tell my friends my. So I'm not going to admit to these people because of my pride. You you, you cheat yourself, or I cheated myself out of getting help from others, my peers, because my pride kept me from admitting it to them. Yeah. I hid it from everyone. Yeah. And I think if we tell um, people that aren't in recovery about our issues, they'll say, well, we'll just drink a bit less. You know, they don't understand. And of course we'd never say that to each other because we know it's impossible. Yeah. Just summarize for us, Jeff, what benefits alcohol free life has brought to you personally? 
that list gets longer every day. Obviously, family. I don't mind looking at the the person I see in the mirror anymore. Self worth, which care that's probably the biggest thing for me. The whole half the other chapter of my drinking is anxiety. I got crushed in my early twenties by panic attacks and anxiety. And for thirty years, I tried everything known to man, including drinking. I had no idea until two years ago that anxiety was a huge cause of it was drinking. So I was basically just dumping fuel on this fire, trying to put it out. Absolutely. When I got sober, the anxiety lifted. Now I hear about people that have been in therapy for years about their anxiety and then they stop drinking and they don't need any more therapy. (laughs) That alone is reason enough for me to quit drinking. Yeah. But now you add in the fact of I've got family back. I've I've got self-worth back. I've got pride. Yeah, I have optimism. I have hope. I have excitement. I look forward to the day. I don't dread like I did. So if there's somebody listening to this that is where you were three years ago, and they're listening and they're thinking, oh, you know, I know I should do something about my drinking, but I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I'll never be able to do it. What would you say to encourage them? I hate that question because (laughs) I didn't want to hear any of that from all you crazies that have no life and are, and obviously Janet's doesn't drink anymore. So on a Friday, she just goes to the library and sits with her friends and talks very quietly and never laughs. And, you know, only watches dull, boring movies. Yeah, exactly. Just a dull, dull life. Explore maybe is what I would, is, is investigate, is talk, is listen. If you're afraid of making a commitment, don't make a commitment today, but find out what the options are and yeah. and be open because I had to get to the point where I was willing to try. And and I think also look at look at what you're doing and where if, if you keep doing, can you achieve what you want in life if you keep drinking like you're doing? Maybe look, is it progressing? And these are all questions they, you know, people have to ask for themselves. You know, people ask, am I an alcoholic? I have no idea. Alcoholic, you know, or alcohol, it, it, I look at it as, is it a problem? Don't, I don't care about the titles. I hate the, the words and all that. I just look at, you can call me what you want. I just know that when I drink, bad things happen. Yeah. Or, or yeah. good things don't happen. But look at where you are and can you achieve what you want out of life if you keep doing what you're doing? And also look at the progression. And it's a matter of being honest. But I think the big thing is, and that's one thing with my kids. I don't see, they're all drinkers. I mean, the whole family is. I'm one of the only ones in our family. But none of them are problem drinkers. But, you know, we just had a wedding. And, yeah, they were all. I want them to see that if it ever gets to a problem, I want them to, one, know they can talk to dad anytime. But I want them to see that sobriety is not a red light. I thought it was a red light. I thought it just meant the end. It's over. Yeah. Fun's done. Yeah. Stop. It, it really is a green light. Now, maybe it's a flashing yellow light. There's a pause where you do have to come to a stop and change your tires and refuel your car with the right kind of fuel. But then sobriety is a green light. I mean, I'm yeah. doing things I never could have done. Yeah. It's an opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, a complete opportunity. And it's a freedom. But I didn't, when people told me that, I didn't believe them. 
People have got to get sober curious because I, I think even if alcohol doesn't destroy you and it does, doesn't destroy everybody by any means, but you'll never really reach your potential if you're drinking too much. But see, that's what you're doing that's so great, Janet, because, well, I haven't got a DUI. I haven't lost my, I drank too much wine or whatever, but I'm not a, you know, look at this guy down on this, the park bench. So they're, they're maybe not, che- they're cheating themselves out of an opportunity yeah. because they're comparing I think if you're going to compare anything, compare it to what you're doing now to what you could be doing if yeah. you weren't. Yeah. You don't compare it to me because you'll just go, well, hell, that guy was drinking at five in the morning sometimes. Yeah. You know, I yeah. I just drink some wine, maybe too many glasses of wine, but that's all I do. I don't have a problem. Don't, don't compare it to me or to compare it to what you could be. And another great exercise, I think, is to look forward. You know, for 10 years, if you carry on drinking, what will your life look Mm -hmm. like? And then if you stop, what will it look like? It'll be an adventure. You've got no idea what it'll look like. But if you carry on drinking, you you probably know exactly what it'll look like. What I got from sobriety is also what I gave up. I gave up fear every time I drive. I gave up fear of getting in trouble. I gave up I, I gave up so many crosses I didn't even realize I carried. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't now when we go out, oh my God, it's getting past the time. How am I gonna get it? You know, and the panic. I can enjoy moments. I gave up all the anxieties and the fears and the did I leave that out? Oh my god, what did I say? What does this mean? Meet you, you know, I'll see you there at eight AM. Eight AM where? See, I don't, I don't remember that message. What, where the hell am I supposed to be? It's so ironic because people don't uh, change their drinking because they're worried about losing stuff. But in fact, we lose the bad stuff. All those exactly. examples you've given, and we gain so much more. And that so, all you're thinking is, I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to yeah, lose yeah. my fun. I'm going to lose my sense of humor. But you'll yeah. find what you lose is all the baggage and the crap that's holding you back. Thank you so much, Jeff. So many gems in there, plus a couple of good analogies. Let's pull some points out. So Jeff enjoyed his first beer at the age of 16. It wasn't so much the buzz he enjoyed as the status. He felt like he was fitting in. But much as he enjoyed the social side of drinking, he also discovered that he loved to drink alone. He would come home from a night out and have some drinks on his own. He felt like he needed some Jeff time, as he put it. And I think many of us are like this. Even in sobriety, some of us can still get triggered when we get home from a social event, even when we were drinking alcohol-free drinks. I know I would work hard to behave myself at a social event, but then down a bottle of wine when I got home. It was a reward. Jeff was into beer and from the age of 23 was drinking at least a case of beer a day. And of course, all his friends were drinkers as well. His parents were both alcoholics, and that's why he was drawn to beer rather than spirits. He thought it was better, but of course, it's all ethanol. Whether we're drinking beer or wine or vodka or scotch, it's all ethanol, and it's going to have the same effect on our minds and our bodies. Jeff started hiding his beers in the garage. So his wife and kids actually had no idea how much he was drinking or quite how bad it had got. Someone asked him recently if sobriety was hard. 
It made him reflect on just how hard it was to be a functioning alcoholic, how hard it was to hold everything together. I can certainly empathize with that, and I think many of our community can. He got to the point where he knew he would have to cut down, but he just couldn't face it, so he just started hiding his drinks more effectively. We talked about the buzz and how us drinkers love to maintain that buzz. And in fact, recent research has shown that the buzz only lasts for 20 minutes and then we have to carry on drinking to top it up again. As Jeff explained, after some beers, he would not go back to normal. He would feel lower than normal and reach for the beer to compensate. And if you read up on the science, you'll find that it confirms that. He was starting to drink earlier in the day and always telling himself that tomorrow would be different. But eventually he ran out of lies. He admitted defeat and booked himself into rehab for a week. He needed this stay in rehab to draw a line under his drinking and to make a statement to his friends and family that he really wanted to make a change. We find that many of the people who come to our workshops are in that position. Just spending a day examining our mindset around the way we see alcohol, getting some new tools, meeting others on the same path, it's enough, enough to draw a line under the drinking years and change their habits for the future. Jeff needed the accountability that came with rehab. He just couldn't do this alone. As he says, he didn't actually learn much in rehab, but he did a lot of self-reflection. And of course, he met other people with the same problems. When he was sharing his story in a group, he heard himself saying things that he hadn't really registered before. And that happens at our workshops. People get emotional when they share because they only realize just how unhappy alcohol's been making them when they tell their story out loud. Just three months out of rehab and Jeff had a relapse. Just a weekend, but he wanted a reward. A last hurrah, as he put it. That relapse did indicate that Jeff still had work to do on his mindset. If we see alcohol as a reward, then it means it will always be hard to resist and will suffer from FOMO. Once we actually see alcohol for the addictive toxin it really is, we will lose our desire for it, which is the key to sustaining our sobriety. Of course, when he stopped drinking, Jeff had to find other things to do with his time. He learned that he couldn't just wait until he had a craving and then find something else to do. He had to make a plan in advance. He learned that he needed a schedule of activities, and I think that's great advice. So try lots of different things, keep yourself busy until you find a routine that really works for you and then you can make it into a firm schedule. As Jeff says, it's no good telling him to call someone if he gets a craving to drink because it's far too late by then. Like myself, Jeff loves talking to people in recovery and getting new insights. We talked about discovering purpose and the way we've both found more purpose in our lives from running sobriety groups. He set up Back to Zero to inspire others on the journey. And interviewing people for Back to Zero keeps his schedule busy. We agreed that community is the essential thing that all sobriety groups have in common because, of course, connection is the opposite of addiction. He came up with some great analogies Sobriety is like a haunted house. 
scary to go in there alone, but can even be fun if you're with someone else. And my favorite one was the traffic lights. Sobriety is not a red traffic light. It's a green light to freedom, health, and happiness. Yes, there may be a while stopped at the amber light, going through an adjustment period, but the green light will appear. I love that one. Two years into sobriety and Jeff is experiencing lots of benefits, an increase in his self-worth, reduction of anxiety and closer connection to his family are just a few. We talked about how many of us thought we were okay because we were not like that homeless guy on the park bench. But Jeff advises that instead of comparing ourselves with the guy on the park bench, we should compare ourselves with the person that we could be. Because even if alcohol doesn't destroy us, it will certainly prevent us from reaching our potential. There is one indispensable practice that you will need if you're really going to fulfill your potential in life. You will need a daily journaling practice. Sobriety is merely a springboard to self-development. There is so much more to recovery than not drinking and a journal will give you the self-knowledge and the space to reflect and to explore what comes next. You heard Jeff explaining that after his relapse, he started to take things much more seriously and began to journal every single day. He used it to process his thoughts and emotions, and he feels it's so important to get those negative thoughts on paper so that we can analyse them. And you heard him talking about the importance of being honest with ourselves, documenting the bad bits as well as the good bits in our journal. A journal is such a vital tool when we decide to change our relationship with alcohol, so we've decided to hold a pop-up week at the end of this month, a five-day course on the power of journaling. Just five days on a Facebook group to help you to get started with a journaling habit. And if you already journal, then please come and join the conversation. So if you'd like to learn more about the power of journaling and how it can help you to not only quit drinking, but to go on and thrive in your alcohol-free life, just go to tribesober.com and you'll find all the info about our journaling course on the homepage. So let me finish with a member message from one of our chat rooms. A very common issue is being with a partner who still drinks and doesn't quite understand the struggle. So we had a lady that explained to her husband that she might be leaving the social event a little early if she started to struggle. And he wasn't entirely happy with this and felt that she should be there with him until he was ready to go. So she posted her issue on the group and got plenty of advice. Let me just read one for you. This one's from our lovely Irene. Irene says, I feel for you here. Being torn by guilt, keeping everybody happy and doing what's best for you will always cause friction. Perhaps if you set down the parameters clearly before you go out, even before you accept the invitation, it might help. There will always be a time when you have to prove yourself, not only to you, but also to your partner. Communication is key here, so do lots of it all the time to ensure everybody knows what page you are on. This stage of your life is extremely important as to how the future is going to turn out. You have to be your best friend here. Strength and hugs. 
That's great advice from Irene. Thank you. One thing I really love about our community is that we have people at all stages of the journey. We've got many people like Irene who've been sober for a few years now, and their wisdom and kindness is what helps other people to stay on track. So if you'd like to get advice from people like Irene, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. And we'd be so grateful if you'll leave us a review. I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain. And we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.